welcome back to the Freedom Ain't Free podcast. It's Freedom Friday, and we're here to introduce you into our next topic. Today, we're going to be talking about the history of the Black economy in America. I am your host, Chanice Ford, and I'd love for you to take a moment to actually follow us on all social media. So we are Equalize the Economy Incorporated on Facebook as well as Instagram. Let's dig into it. Starting with prior to Civil War, the antebellum of the Black economy, um, society structure included enslaved people, uh, free men and women, working class white people, middle class white people, and upper class white people. While there were some free Black men and women that were a part of the middle and upper class, that was highly unusual. And so they would have been in their own category. And this was because even if they did have wealth, they still had to play by the white supremacist societal rules. Um, sound familiar? Yeah. So uh, oftentimes they were excluded, the upper and middle class black people, they were still excluded from many of the social aspects of wealth, sometimes even the business aspects. A common argument against the need for economy, our economy to be equalized is that because there were some black people who had money, they even enslaved uh, people. And sometimes people overlook the facts that in order for them to have wealth at all, they oftentimes fell into the trap of needing to fall into white supremacy in order to maintain whatever it is that they did have. Okay, moving on into Reconstruction. The end of the Civil War and the passage of the 13th Amendment saw an end to slavery by individuals, although it did allow slavery to be in the state of by in form of imprisonment. At this point, many plantations that had lost profitability during the time of the war changed gears and took advantage of the loophole in the amendment, becoming prisons. New laws that were introduced made it more difficult for freed people to move around or even seek work in towns that other than where they lived, because if they weren't gaslit into remaining at the plantations where they had already been, they were intimidated or killed and or made to work for little to no money. So the options were slim. There was an increase in sharecropping or servitude roles uh, taken on by predominantly free black men and women. These rules were designed to keep people poor, ensuring that they would never quite get what was promised because it was impossible to achieve the contracted goals or simply because of all the restrictions that would be in the contract. For example, a servant might sign a year contract that pays them $5 a month, but if they break rules such as breaking a dish in the big house or staining a uniform, they would be fined. Oftentimes, these fines would pile up so the servant would owe the person that employed them, forcing them to take another contract to pay off the debt. It was also common practice to only pay a person half of their month wage at the end of the month and keep the rest for the end of the year. Keep in mind, literacy amongst enslaved people had been outlawed in most states for over 30 years by the end of the Civil War. So most of the people signing or leaving their mark on the contracts had no idea what was in them past what they were told. This is illegal today. Despite all of the things that went wrong for the 10 years following the end of the Civil War, there were some temporary gains, such as land ownership and political participation. However, Jim Crow laws could change how and if any progress could be made. During Jim Crow, as it pertains to the economy, 
of Black Americans. You know, during Jim Crow, there was separation, but equal. So there was major segregation, there was Blacks only, white only, all these things, right? Um, and during that time, there had to become a massive boom in Black-owned businesses because there was a necessity for it. It was separate, definitely, but equal, not so much. Property ownership was segregated. Realtors could be disciplined for selling homes to people who were predominantly in that neighborhood. Deeds had also had provisions for homeowners that they could not lease to people outside of the demographic of the current neighborhood. This was on the rise from the start of the 20th century. Black people and minorities were pushed to the least desirable areas of the cities and towns, and this meant less access to public services, less tax revenue guaranteed or generated, and the continuation of generational poverty. This is perhaps the most damaging part of segregation beyond social implication. This caused the Black economy to regress. Think about this. Jim Crow began less than five years after the end of the Civil War. That is less than five years since the 13th Amendment that effectively freed 4 million people. Black people were being pushed into a worse economic position before they even had the chance to try and gain a better one. By the turn of the century, from the 1800s to the 1900s, it is estimated that Black people owned up to 15 million acres in the South. However, under Jim Crow, at least 24,000 acres were illegally taken from landowners between 1900 and 1930. Another thing that happened during the era of Jim Crow is convict leasing. The transfer of power and care of prisoners to a company or individual for the length of their prison sentences. The state would sell their labor. Really, what they were doing is selling the person and usually people who were leased were not at all well cared for. So again, slavery in a different way. Jim Crow laws were enforced until 1965. Moving into the civil rights era, Black-owned businesses dropped significantly despite strides towards civil rights. White-owned businesses actually benefited significantly from the Civil Rights Act of 1964, despite the demands of economic justice. White-owned and dominated businesses used the Civil Rights Act as a way to blame the government for their hiring decisions. This way, they could hire Black people and pay them far less. Rather than the white workers directing their anger at the company or the manager, they would direct it towards the new hires. This is a pattern that repeats itself over and over again. However, the wealth gap gets smaller for the first time since the 1870s, but this time it's for more of the population. By this point, much of the scientific racism which is also the pseudoscience that wanted to prove that there were significant differences between people's abilities based on their race. I don't know if anyone has seen Django, that movie, when Leonardo DiCaprio is describing the differences of the skulls of Black people versus white people. That wasn't just for effect in the movie. It had been widely discredited. However, stereotypes had stuck and it would still be a fight for desegregation. By 1975, only 2.5% of businesses in the U.S. were Black-owned. In the 1980s and the 1990s, there was what we call urban decay due to white flight. White flight had become a popular practice from as early as the 1930s, really, where Jim Crow laws failed to entirely segregate neighborhoods, or in some cases, whole cities. White people, especially families, would move out en masse to different areas. This caused several different things to happen. 
White people moving out near the suburbs pushed lower income families further out, causing issues with transport and finding affordable housing. Think gentrification. In more recent years, this has happened in reverse, where white people have been moving back into the cities and through a process of blockbusting and gentrification have pushed families out of their homes. The mass exodus into some cities like New York, Detroit, and others caused big companies to do the same, and many relocated to cheaper headquarter buildings in the suburbs. They would take their jobs with them. This would lead to the war on drugs by Nixon. Drug laws throughout the 1800s and the early 1900s usually were targeted at a certain demographic. A top Nixon aide, John Ehrlichman, said, you want to know what this was really all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and Black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or Black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and Blacks with heroin, then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, we could raid their homes, we could break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Now, here we are in 2020. Black-owned businesses and working people hit hardest from the pandemic. Black businesses failed at double the rate of white-owned businesses, and about 50% of all working-age Black people were unemployed as of April 2020. 50%. The Black economy holds onto its dollars for the shortest amount of time compared to white, Asian, and Hispanic. The Black women, as of 2018, are paid 61 cents for every $1 a white man makes. And this is down from 63 cents in 2016. As we are dealing with and amongst the COVID uh, pandemic, and we're looking at all the different disparities that have been evident for many, many, many years, we're looking at a disparity that is not even, you know, we've talked about the Civil War era, we've talked about post-Civil War, we've talked about the Civil Rights Movement. Do you know that the wealth gap between Black Americans and white Americans percentage-wise is even more now than it was in 1960? Things aren't getting better, guys. They're getting worse. That's baffling. It's baffling to learn that the same things that Martin Luther King and our ancestors were fighting about are still prevalent and things are going down a slippery slope. We're turning a point where we have to take action. It's not optional anymore. There's no more room for complacency. There's no more room for waiting and hoping that some law will be brought into effect that will bring our rights to the forefront. Where are we going from here? What is our hope for the future? That's what we'll be discussing next week about Equalize the Economy and what we plan to do to change these things and to make a difference because there's no more room to sit back and wait and hope. There's no more room for that. It's time to roll our sleeves up and do the work. The wealth gap is worse now. Things are getting worse, not better, especially and particularly when we are voting people into office that either don't see it or don't care. I've said it before, if you guys have followed me at for any length of time, all I wanna say is that they don't really care about us. Michael Jackson tried to tell us, but it is so true. I didn't wanna believe it. 
you know? I didn't want to believe it. I'm not someone that has always had some type of angry um, person inside of me or some chip on my shoulder or anything like that. I did not want to believe it. I'm actually an incredibly optimistic person. I'm actually an incredibly loving and caring and compassionate person that wants to believe the best of the world, right? But when you look at the facts, when you look at the black and white of it, when you remove feelings and you really truly look at the facts, there is a major disparity that needs to be solved. And how else will it be solved other than to redistribute wealth, other than to take matters into our own hands? We'll be going further into that on next week's episode on Freedom Friday. But do we want the history that we've had? Do we want all of these things that we've discussed today to be the future that we see for ourselves, for our children, for our children's children? Do we want to continue to get worse and not better? Or do we want to see a difference? And do we want to make a change? It's time. It is time. There's no more talking about it. It's time to do something. You guys, I'm going to wrap up here, but I really do want you to chew on these things. I want you to take some time to, first of all, donate to equalize the economy so that we can affect the change that we want to make in the world. I want you to take some time to be sure you're following our groups, Amplify Black Business on Facebook and Equalize the Economy on Facebook and Instagram. I want to be sure that you are following Freedom Ain't Free, the podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, share, tell your friends, educate your friends. Take this episode. If you don't share anything, share this episode with your friends first so they can understand why the work that we do is so important so they can understand why the work that we do is so necessary so they can understand why this work is not optional it's mandatory 